Thanks so much for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With four campuses scattered throughout southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit our website at portcity.church. Good morning. What a, what a great day. I'm, uh, what a great day. Can't believe it's November. Uh, and I'm excited that we got an extra hour. I read somewhere and someone said, um, said I'm not setting my clock back. Uh, set my clocks back. I don't want another hour in 2020. <laughs> I thought, okay, that's a good idea. Um, today we're going to talk about what I love about the story uh, that we just saw is the simplicity of it. Um, when we began kind of talking about this series, this is sort of some background information for you. We began talking about this series. Um, uh, we, uh, we were talking about the idea of spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines is something that is critical to uh, your walk, to my walk, to us learning to be faithful and to walk with Jesus in this particular culture and world, really any, but particularly this one. And but spiritual disciplines always seems like something that is reserved for those who are, you know, contemplatives or they're, they're, they're just those people, these spiritual giants that it always seems for other people. What I love about that is it just makes it really accessible. Just in your car on the way to work, you just begin to recite Galatians 5, love is, uh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it just begins to sort of center your mind and kind of awaken your heart into some places where it helps us to uh, arrange our lives, to see things differently, to participate differently in what we're going to be doing over the coming uh, days and weeks. And what, what spiritual disciplines are really about, like a lot of us, when we hear the idea of disciplines, we usually think of disciplines as these things that help us get better at something. So if you discipline yourself for prayer, you want to get better at praying. Or if you discipline yourself for journaling, you want to get better at journaling. Or if you discipline yourself to read your Bible, you want to get through a book of the Bible or through the whole Bible. But that's not what disciplines are for. Disciplines are, are given to us or available to us simply to help us pay attention. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we, we have a significant attention problem in our culture. Uh, coming from a person who personally has struggled with attention issues uh, my whole life, um, I, I have found that the reason most people believe that they cannot focus is simply because they have never actually practiced doing so. Now, here's the problem. So I have a, uh, I drive a, uh, the coolest car ever, I have a 1989 Volvo 740 GL station wagon. It was born in the 80s, which makes it cool automatically. Um, it's tagged Golden Glory because it's golden and it's ridiculous. Uh, but I love this car, and it's now finally mostly in working order. It doesn't have air, and it doesn't have... The radio just started working for some miraculous reason um, but nothing else works, but the thing will just run. It just runs and it runs and it runs. But for a long time, it did. It was just one chronic problem after another. And it was always interesting problems. Like, so for example, uh, my gas gauge doesn't work. So you get in the car, you turn it on, and you look at it, it looks like it's on empty. But oh, it's not empty. You just have to flick it. And you flick the dashboard, it pops up to wherever the gas is. So if you flick it and it doesn't move, you're in trouble. You need to go get gas. So you just, it's just all these little things that make it such a fun car to have. Um, but years ago, my windshield wipers didn't work. 
And when I say they didn't work, what I mean was it wasn't like when you turn them on, they didn't work. When you turn them on, whatever the mechanism that makes them stop and then go back was broken. So what happened is you would turn your windshield wipers on, they would go, and they would fly off the left side of your car. Now guess when you, guess the only time you thought about this? When it's raining and you're driving, so you're on the road and it starts raining and you flip the windshield and boom, they go off. And it's, there's other ones still working, but the other one's just like hanging off, just gink, gink on the side. So I was like, oh, so every time, you know, I, I got used to this, but what, what had happened to me is I'd get in the car, I'd get somewhere, and you know how, you know, thunderstorms are in this area. It's like, it's not, it's like not raining and then it's like monsooning, like in a second. So you're driving on the road and all of a sudden it's like, you're cool. And all of a sudden, boom, here comes this thunderstorm and it's monsooning. What I would remember is, oh, my windshield wipers are broken, but I'm already driving and there's nothing I can do about it. So I'd crack my window about an inch. I reached my hand out and I'd put my fingers on the windshield and I'd turn my windshield wipers on. So the windshield wipers would hit my fingers and then bounce back. Not joking. So I'm driving like this, water is running down my arm, dripping into my car. And then I'd get, and what, this is what I did every time. I'm like, I swear I'm gonna fix this. And guess what? Stop raining, get out of my car, come back, forget all about it. Guess when I remembered the next time? Same as that, this goes over and over and over. Do you know what is the problem? The problem is, what, what I find is I had, to, I had to pay attention to something that actually required my attention when it wasn't an urgent need. And this is what spiritual disciplines do. They set us up. I actually got it fixed because I remembered. I wrote myself a note, I wrote on my hand, do not ever do this again, right? And it wasn't about just about, it was about paying attention to something and then taking the attention that I was given to something and then carrying it through to action and to other ways in which I would actually begin to make some progress in things I hope to make some progress in. A lot of us in our spiritual lives, this is it. You come into church and you hear, oh man, that, was, that, 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 that really spoke to me or, or I felt like you know, Mike was talking to me or Brett was talking, I felt like that was happening to me and you get all excited and you go out and then you come back the next week and, you, and the next time you remember is when you're in here again or when you're watching again or whatever. Now, the great thing is with digital, we have all kinds of ways to keep this in front of you. But that's kind of the picture. That's the picture. And what happens, what I've learned a few years ago, um, my one word, uh, which is what we do around here, we pick words, we don't pick New Year's resolutions. My one word, I chose the word behold. Behold, which is the title of the series. It's a funny word because we don't use that. When you see Mike come in his car, you don't go, behold the Volvo. You might now, because that's actually kind of a worthy statement. You don't say behold, you just go, oh, hey, look, or check that out or whatever. Behold is a really interesting word. We read it like this, it's all throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament. It says, behold, the eye of the, of the Lord is on those who fear him, behold. So I began to look at this, and the reason I picked this word, because I wanted the word vision, I wanted something that was forward, I wanted something that was kind of aggressive, and I'm looking at this, and I'm reading through, and I noticed that when God shows up and he gives Abram this vision, the first thing he says is to behold, and I began to research this word. The word is full of emotion. The word is full of emotion. It means to, it means to thoroughly hold something, to see it in such a way that you thoroughly hold on to it, not just, Dad, give me a windshield wiper's broken. It's, it's, oh my gosh, I've got to do something about this. To behold something is to see something, to thoroughly hold on to something in such a way that you have to respond to it. So when he says to behold the Lord, when we talk about beholding him, to see him, we're talking about to see him in such a way that it actually changes or does something. What we need is to learn how to pay attention. What I learned in that year, whenever I do my word at the end of the year, I always go back 
And, um, and just so y'all know, people who I, everybody always notices like things I have or don't have every week. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see Jack. Uh, so I'll do the best I can. So if I go, who knows? Well, I can't see the clock. Can't see by this. It's totally fine. I left him back there somewhere. So um, uh, where was I? All right. So the idea is that we've got to see something in, in such a way that it, that it changes us. And what I learn, whenever I do my words, at the end of the year, I always do like my personal retreat. And I try to sum up what I gained or the thing that I want to kind of be in me in like a single sentence. So my year with behold, my year focusing on this idea of beholding God, of, of taking in things, taking, receiving things, taking in things in such a way that they take over was this. It was that what catches your eye ultimately captures your heart. Do you know why most of us are so angsty in this season? Guess where our attention is? Our attention is fixed on the the chaos in our culture. It garners everything, every ad. You can't even watch TV without just one thing after another. And we don't realize this, but it, we, it gets our attention. We give it to these things. And it does something in us, whether it's disgust or whether it's anger or whether it's fear, it does something to us. It begins to cause us to sort of filter this thing through the primary view. And just, just one thing I want to make very clear, and I think as a church, as people who follow Jesus, what we, we are not going to allow someone's vote to be the litmus test for their allegiance to Jesus. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going I'm to tell you not to do it. I was going to say ask you, but I'm not. I'm telling you, do not do that. If we want to be people who live in a way that's different and distinct, we cannot fall prey to that. Okay, that's kind of free, but I just want you in the next couple of weeks when you hear things and you find out things, don't make that the litmus test. Jesus didn't. He's like, you know, if you want to know what it looks like to follow me, you love people. You love me and you love people. So let's make that the litmus test and, and don't, don't do something um, that it's not intended to be. But the reason we fall prey to this is because of where our attention goes. So in these next few weeks, I want to explore this idea of what it means for us to, to pay attention. There's a price to your attention, and it's higher than what most of us ever thought. And it's crushing people. It's crushing a lot of people that I know, and I think there's a way for us to live. Many of you, if you've been here, many of you, if you've been here long enough, you've seen this diagram. I'm just going to put this up there real quick because I'm going to be interacting with this. It's the concept of encounter formation expression. Whenever I draw human beings, I usually draw them like this. Y'all seen this before, right? Occasionally there's a head and such like that. It's because we're kind of built from these three sort of components. We're built from our minds, we're built from our hearts, and we're built from our bodies or our flesh. These are the things that we have sort of been given initial rule over. The reason this is so important to me is because there's a lot of language in the scriptures that talk specifically about how these things relate to each other. And, and as someone, again, as someone who has struggled with my, the, the, the brain, my mind, the attention for most of my life and found significant uh, formation and power from what God and his spirit do in our lives, in my life, 
I want to really kind of push you in that direction, help us to understand some things that I think everybody can, it's accessible to everybody right here from right where you are. And so the idea, and I remember, I remember thinking about this years and years ago, because in my view of theology, it begins in the garden with the command that God gave us. And the command that he gave us, the purpose that he gave us was that you and I would participate, we would rule and reign with him. It was fundamentally a call to enter in to an authority, to a dominion, to a rule. And he tells us, I want you to rule. And the first domain that you and I have to exercise that dominion is over our minds, over our hearts, and over our bodies. You are in charge. That's your, that's your realm of authority. It's what you see, what you think. All these things are in the realm of your authority. You've been given responsibility for them. I remember my, my discovery this, you know, I'm just gonna read this passage to you. Psalm 119, this is kind of where my journey began. But it says this in 119 uh, verses one through seven, the very beginning, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walk according to the law of the Lord. And blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all, all their heart. They do no wrong, but they follow his ways. You have laid down your precepts that they are to be fully obeyed. And, and what you begin to see and you begin to feel this pressure. You gotta obey what the Bible says. You gotta do all, you gotta do everything right. Don't get it wrong. And I remember this next one, these next few were just jarring to me. Verse five says this, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. The version that I memorized it out of was the New American Standard Version. It says, oh, that my ways would be established in order to keep your word. The reason it freed me, it meant that I got a say in how I arranged my life to do things. Your life is arranged around something. You arrange your life around work, your kids, your politics. Your this. You arrange your life around something. He just says, hey, you might want to consider arranging your life in order to be obedient, in order to be allegiant to this way. And then he says this, then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. There's a way for us to live so that we don't live in chronic guilt or shame or fear or anxiety that we're not measuring up. When I can, uh, um, don't I be put to shame when I consider your commands and I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn this way of life. That, that's the idea. That's the idea. So it really was about how then do I arrange my life in order to do this. What I learned was that our, our minds are this battleground for the condition of our hearts and the war for our minds is sort of fought in what we pay attention to, what we see, what we encounter. So this is where I want for us to get to. When I was growing up and ruling my house as I raised my kids was that you were not allowed to be bored. It's just, it's a rule, you can't be bored. And I'll tell you why, because if you're bored, you have an imagination problem. That's why, it's exactly, my mom taught me that. If you're on board, it's like, you're not thinking about something that's fun. And we can all do that. And, and what happens is now more and more boredom has sort of become like this anti-thing. If you bore me, then I'm like offended by you. And what it reveals is this sense of entitlement that we've developed to be chronically entertained. This is both a real problem, but it is also a beautiful opportunity. Because everybody's looking to be entertained by everything, and there are a few who are gonna go, I don't need to be entertained, I can think. 
I can pay attention. I am a steward of my attention, and that's what we need to learn how to do. Um, what happens is boredom has kind of been replaced by these mind-scattering tornadoes of information. That's what happens. And this is the form that it comes in. Right now, now before you like, think I'm gonna throw, oh, those are my reading glasses, but those will help. I've got like a gla- pair of glasses up here and a pair of glasses down there. So before, there, oh, that's better. So before you think I'm gonna tell you to throw your phone in the trash, I'm not. It's not going away. My, I don't predict the future very often, but I'm pretty sure this is not going away. So the challenge isn't to get rid of it or not. The challenge is to be a steward of how you use whatever tools you have been given. What we've learned is, and this is all just what research shows us, that the average user unlocks their phone 150 times per day. Actually more frequently than that because you just look at it. It's unlocked. You will click or tap or swipe your phone 2,617 times per day in an average of 77 unique sessions. 70%, seven out of every 10 people say they look at their phones within the first five minutes that they're awake. Coffee, Facebook. There's this, you just see this, and it looks just like this. And what happens is we, 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 our minds, our thinking, our attention is just hijacked. And we just scroll into this oblivion of whatever happens to catch our eye. And that's how we process things. The rate of interruption and the level of interruptions that we experience is, is unprecedented because of this. And I think we have never actually learned how to live with these. We just not learned how to do it. It's, it's, it's literally the, the modern day printing press. It is as radical of an invention as the printing press was. We haven't seen anything like this in generations and centuries that has caused this kind of disruption to hijack our attention. In fact, what a lot of uh, psychologists and social commentators call is that we now learn, we, we now live in what they call a state of continuous partial attention. We're just half attending to everything until your windshield wipers flap off. The and then you're like, well, you gotta pay attention to that until something happens. So while the main culprit is technology, I don't think that's the main solution. I don't think that's actually the main problem. I think the problem is stewardship. It is an abdication of the responsibility to take responsibility for that which you've been made responsible for. Did you follow that? It is an abdication of the responsibility to take responsibility for that which you have been given responsibility for. You are responsible for your attention. You can blame on everybody else, but you and I, if we're gonna learn how to live, must take responsibility for it. Now we live in a world that works 
against this. Right? Uh, John Mark Comer wrote a book called The Elimination of Hurry. He says, advertising is literally an attempt to monetize our restlessness. I don't know if you've seen Social Dilemma or not, the documentary. Uh, it's, it's incredibly insightful. But essentially what it talks about, and, it, and I, I think this is true, that the, the old adage was that the time, your time is the most valuable commodity that you have that is no longer true. It is now your attention. Your attention is what, for, is, what is for sale in our culture now. Um, that's the premise of this documentary is that the economic model is that what advertisers are buying is your attention. They're trying to get their thing in front of you as much as they can. And the way they get their thing in front of you as much as they can is by keeping you connected to this device. And the more engaged you are, the more attention they have. Do you know what engages human beings most easily? It isn't joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's fear and it's anger and it's division. You wanna know why we live in this? Because we have given our attention away in lieu of being entertained. That's what's happened. It's interesting, there was a book written back in 1936. Uh, Aldous Huxley, he, he wrote this in a novel and he envisioned this, instead of where everybody envisioned this utopia, he envisioned the opposite of that, the dystopia. And he says this, he says, he envisioned a future dystopia, not, um, uh, envisioned a future uh, dystopia, not of a dictatorship, but of distraction where sex, entertainment, and busyness tear apart the fabric of society, 1936. So my assumptions are this, and I'm gonna give these to you, and this is what we'll be kind of landing on for the next four weeks. Number one is your attention is up for auction. It's up for the highest bidder. You need to be aware of that. The people who are advertising to you are not interested in you know, selling you, you know, in, in a, um, persuading you to a particular value. They're interested in getting your money. That's the model. That's the problem with the model. The model is now that the e economy now is driven by how much someone can take your attention from you. And everything is driven to that, and we just play right into it. Number two is your emotions are being exploited. We complain about mental health in our culture, but everything in the messaging is not interested in your mental health. They're actually using it against you. Fear and anxiety, all these things, this angstiness we feel is actually, it's, it's, it's predictable from what we engage in, what we give our attention to. And then thirdly, I think, and this is kind of where we want to land, is your heart needs a home. And this is where I want to help us get to over the next few weeks together. We exchange our responsibility to pay attention for this desperate need to be entertained. And when this happens, and you just got to test yourself. When this happens, we become a victim to boredom and we live at the mercy of whatever entertains us the best. You wanna know why celebrities have so much power in our culture? Because of our chronic need to be entertained. And we have given away our call to think, to think. So we end up 
feeling everything. It's almost like these two things get separated. What we feel and what we think. So this has been long kind of been my, my journey. In this condition, when you end up feeling everything, and some of you, this is where you're at. Everything is emotional. Your emotions, your thoughts get hijacked because you stop thinking about things. One of my reasons for journaling is it allows me to see what I'm thinking without being blinded by what I'm feeling. But I don't want my, I know I'm prone to that. My thoughts can get hijacked. Our emotions get exploited. And your heart pays the price because it's never settled. You ever wonder why you can't ever find that sense inside because you're just constantly being pulled in a million directions. And the opposite of that, and for some of you who struggle with this, it's, it's like you get in your head and you end up overthinking everything. And then you just can't understand why someone can't see the logic in your argument because their emotions have been hijacked. You're on two separate playing fields. You're not even talking about the same things. You ever try to reason with a two-year-old about why they need a nap? It's the same thing. I don't need a nap. You're just tired, take a nap. They both want the exact same thing. They're just, they're just playing in two completely different planets. And what happens is we, our positions get forged when we overthink things. And our hearts pay the price because they become hardened. So this is, this is the condition. And the challenge isn't for those of you who are thinkers to become feelers. And the challenge isn't for those of you who are feelers to become thinkers. The challenge is for us to understand there's a relationship between these two, which is actually what integrity is. Did a whole series on this a few years ago. And it's what I think wisdom means. Wisdom is fundamentally our capacity to align. To it, And it says in there, the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And, it, and it's, it's this, this, this pulling apart is a wisdom problem. And where wisdom begins is with the fear of the Lord. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna get there eventually. I wanna read Proverbs 4. I wanna give you um, two sets of questions and then we'll be, we'll be done. Proverbs 4, verses uh, 18 through 27. And I, and I love this passage. This is where... Um, where it says, above all else, guard your heart because from it flows the wellsprings of life. This is where this passage is. So I want you to listen to how it's, I want you to pay attention to how it's, how you hear this. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter until the full day of light. Is that a beautiful saying or what? But think about what it means. Pay attention to what it's saying. The path of the righteous is like the sun coming up. What's the condition of what you experience when you go to see a sunrise? What's the first condition of it? It's dark. The path of the righteous is like the rising of the sun. It comes up until it emerges and it illuminates and lights the whole thing. It's revealing. You pay attention to that. We just did a whole series talking about this whole idea that re revelation is the way of relationships. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness for they do not even know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. 
Turn your ear to my words. Incline, right? And turn your ears to my words. It's like this. Turn your ears to hear, to really hear what I'm saying. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and they are health to one's body. Like if you're reading this and you're just chewing on this, you're just kind of getting this picture that there's something, and it's not a list of rules to be followed. It's relational. I want you to hear what I'm saying and take this into my heart because this is life of your soul. It's health to your body. Above all else, he goes on, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity and your heart I'm sorry, and your corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. Do not turn to the left or to the right or to the left, but keep your foot from evil. I think if, my, if in Mike's translation, this, I would say pay dadgum attention. That's what he's saying. Pay attention. When he talks about guarding our heart, because from it, everything flows out of it. What I think the call is, is to pay attention to what you see, to what you encounter. Pay attention to how you process all of this. Because the way you guard your heart above all else is you win the war for your heart in the battle of your mind. And we will talk more about this. But this is where it begins. This is where you learn how to pay attention. And it's something you have to learn how to do. Because right now, the whole world is pulled to grab your attention. And so you've got to start deciding, how am I going to pay attention? How am I going to actually give this? And what I want you to understand is that the price of your attention comes at the expense of your soul. That's what's at stake. What gets your attention will ultimately get your affection. Depending on which news channel you watch, depending on how you watch and view shows or things that portray women as objects or whatever, it will shape what ultimately gets your affection, what happens to your heart. The way you see and perceive other people and think about them will eventually capture your heart. It will become the kind of person you present to the world, the way you engage with the world around you. This process is never violated. And we have a say in this by learning how to pay attention to what it is that you pay attention to, to recognize every time you pick up your phone, they're not trying to help you. They're trying to get you mad or get you fearful or get you to purchase something or get you to engage with something. So you just have, this means step your phone. Maybe some of you need to, but it just means you have to be aware. You have to pay attention to what you pay attention to. I don't check my phone first thing in the morning. I don't have notifications on my email. When I sit down to do my quiet time or to read or any of those things, I put my phone on airplane mode. I tell my kids when someone texts you, and I've had this happen, someone texts me and I don't text them back in like two seconds. They text me like, like I'm like, I call it, don't ever do that again. Like because you, don't, because you have my number doesn't mean you have the right 
to interrupt everything that I'm doing. I'm talking to the Lord. You want to like compete with that one? <laughs> but I think you've got to be that diligent because our kids, like those of you who are in high school, middle school, you're sitting there and you, your friends are mad at you that you didn't text them back and you got 47,000 text messages and you have no way to say, I can't keep up with all this. Do you know that most students that are surveyed feel anxious about the notifications that they receive on their phone. The primary emotion they're feeling is, oh my gosh, I gotta text all these people back or snap or whatever whatever it is or they're gonna be mad at me. And no one's going, hey man, I was just like checking on you. You don't need to respond. There's no permission. We haven't learned how to do this. We've got to learn how to pay attention to what we're paying attention. We've got to be disciplined in some things. Maybe some of you need to stand with your friends and go, hey, I, I, can't, I, I can't be in 17 group text. I know y'all may be, you know, y'all may be able to, I can't. I can't. Can, you, can, you, can you just give me some grace and help me get recalibrated? Because your friends don't want you having panic attacks every time your phone lights up. But it's, it's, it's these, it's, that's what I'm talking about by disciplines. We've got to do some things about what we see in front of us. So what I want to do is I want to give you these, these two kind of tiers of check-in questions. And I would, we're going to post this on our social media, so maybe what the intentional thing is, just go look for it. Uh, and that sounds ironic, but I do. I have a very intentional way in which I use um, social media. Um, everything is not everybody's business. I mean, that's, those are discipline things that you just have to kind of learn because you feel pressure to like, oh, I want to show this to the world. Like you get a lot of likes. I mean, everybody feels that way if you play the game. So here, here are the questions. And I just want you to, to do this. What causes you to drift towards being easily entertained? Right? Maybe the second question is, what conditions or emotions make the distractions more appealing? What causes you is it politics? Is it your issues? Is it money? Is it the economy? Is it your image? Is it you're frustrated or tired or angry? Like I know what causes me to want to escape. I know exactly what it is. When I get frustrated that things aren't moving at the pace that I want them to move, I'm like, that's it, I'm going. And I, I have very predictable mechanisms to what escape looks like for me. For some, you know, for some it's like escape off into social media world. For some it's more destructive than that. For some it's like I'm gonna go eat a bowl of ice cream or others it's go you know, down a 12 pack. And depending on where you're at, how devastating these things are, but it all starts with where you give your attention to. What is causing, what's the culture around you that's causing escape to be such an easy avenue? So I just want you to get a feel for what's happening around you. So you can begin to pay attention to what you pay attention to. Does that make sense? It's gonna take some work. Number two, or the second kind of block of questions is what, uh, when you reflect on what gets your attention, what do you notice? When you reflect on what gets your attention, what do you notice? What do you see? And what impact do you suppose or think 
these distractions have on the condition of your soul, on who you're becoming. And those guys, it doesn't affect me. I hate it all. It's because you're seeing, right, it's, it's all the same. So I just, I, I just I'm, you need to do this. You need to do this. There's an interesting thing about the way we think about disciplines here at Port City. The disciplines isn't just about doing things. We're gonna, we're gonna get into some very specifics over the coming weeks. I want you to do these things first. But disciplines is as much about receiving or taking something in, thoroughly holding something such that it changes and forms and we're aware of what it's doing. We behold these things. It's a taking in. So begin to think of this or try to put a, a, um, a, um, an exercise or at least a picture on this so that as you and I are sitting here, I'm gonna read a passage over us that really is the, the core verse as to why we started Port City Church. When he says, I pray that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That was, what our, that was the rallying charge. So I'm gonna read this over us in a minute. But what I want us to do is I want us to not just sort of surrender this. I wanna take hold. I want us to receive this and so we can kind of do this as a declaration of saying, we're going to pay attention to what we pay attention to. We're going to, we're going to thoroughly hold this. And so um, I love Duke basketball. I miss it. I know I just lost a lot of you. Like, he can't even be a Christian and like Duke. Um, we don't hold your fanhood as an indicator of your allegiance to Jesus either. Um, and so... So, but when you're at a Duke game in Cameron, it's the coolest experience ever. When there's a free throw, it's, it's like madness. It's pandemonium the whole time. It's like bad noise the whole time, except when Duke's shooting a free throw. And then it's pin drop. And when the guy gets up the line, you know, the whole, the whole entire place is doing this. And then as soon as he shoots, it's like, we're with you, we're with you, we're with you. He shoots, and it goes and goes, woo. We take it in. Woo, we got it. Back up again. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're with you, we're with you, we're with you. Whoop, we got it. So I want you to think about this prayer. Like when we go to surrender, like I don't want us to do this because it may be a little weird. But when I read this over you, I'm gonna say, I want you, I'm gonna, God's prayer, the prayer is that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we'll feel and be patient and persevere and all these things. We wanna receive all this and then go, whoop, we got it. Okay, can we do this? So here's how I want you to do it because it'll be really weird. And so if you're at home, you don't have to play along at that level, but you can certainly participate. So we're gonna do what we do. We always sit around like this and we open our hands as an act, a posture to receive. And then when I'm done, I just want you to go, whoop, and just close your fist. <laughs> Fair enough? So everybody open your hands. This is why I need my glasses because my Bible's so small. So I want you to, I want you to pay attention to this prayer, to what's at stake, to what's available. We continually ask for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may be empowered to live a life, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and to please him to please him in every 
respect, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So you won't get sucked in to these mind-scattering tornadoes and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from this dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? Woo! Got it. Got it. What gets your attention will ultimately get your affection. So I hope you'll have some great conversations around that with your family, with your friends. You'll have it maybe more importantly with the God who loves you. Father, help us in this. Help us to see things, to comprehend things, to understand things in ways that maybe we haven't been able to before, largely because we have simply forgotten to tend to what we see. And I pray that your spirit would awaken every person here when they start these trajectories or when something happens, you'll just say, hey, let's hear your voice. Is this something you should pay attention to because you've been transferred from one kingdom into another? Let's think about what we pay attention to. God, let us hear that for the sake of your work in us and for the sake of our very souls. And so I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.